You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I am thankful to be a dad, and I am thankful for my dad. I would say that there's no one else on planet Earth that has impacted me and shaped me more than my dad has, and so I'm grateful for him uh, today. And speaking of my dad, um, it was his birthday on April 12th, uh, and I called him. Uh, my parents live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, he, it was April 12th, with it was his 71st birthday, and I called my dad. It was about mid-morning. I'm like, Dad, how's it going? Happy birthday. And he, I was like, what are you up to? And he's like, oh, I'm just piddling around the house. I'm not doing a whole lot, just uh, enjoying the day so far. And I think he, uh, you know, he said some dad things, like he complained about taxes because they were due in three days. You know? And he was like, I could buy you another house or send one of your girls to college with all the money I'm sending the government. You know? And you know, he just kind of complained for a moment. And I was like, well, yeah, Dad, 71 years? I'm like, man, that's awesome. And he goes, yeah, I was just thinking about that this morning. You know? And I was thanking the Lord for my years. Uh, there's been some difficult years and some lean years, but, there's also, but most, for the most part, they've been great. And God has blessed our family. And he said, but I've just noticed that in these later years, the, the years are just clipping by, just like that. And I hung up the phone, and I began to think, you know, it was really interesting to me that as soon as we started talking about his age, my dad started talking about God. And, and what he said about God was real simple. Uh, but there was something profound about it. He simply was saying, God is the, the Lord of my years. He's the giver of my days. And so I'm thankful for those days. And then he said, man, they're clipping by. And uh, I thought about that later. I thought, you know, the older you get, I don't know what it is, but the more aware you are of the brevity of life, which is kind of counterintuitive. And you would think a young person is aware that life is brief because they've lived so briefly. Uh, but like a 12-year-old thinks they're going to live forever. But there's something about getting older when the years are just clipping by, just like that, that you begin to see your need to connect your years to eternity. And that's what my, God, my dad was doing uh, that day. Right after I hung up the phone, I arrived at the office. I was driving while I talked to him. I made a cup of coffee, and I sat down, and I read this beautiful psalm that day. It was Psalm 90. Turn there if you're not there. And I want to read the whole thing to us, Psalm 90. It's, if you see the heading, your Bible may say that it's a prayer of Moses. and It's the Moses you think of immediately. It's the prince of Egypt, right? It's the one who God used to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. It's the one whom God spoke with face to face. The one who shepherded God's people for 40 years in the wilderness. It's that Moses. And most of the Psalms are by David, but this one's by Moses. Listen to these words. It's a prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And what a prayer. What a beautiful prayer. I think this psalm, at one level, encapsulates the entire biblical storyline. Right? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. It's all there in the psalm. I think if you go a little deeper, this psalm kind of gives prayer language to the people of God from every generation. And if you go even a little deeper, I think it, it, it very much gives us prayer language for our own individual relationship with God, how we are to relate to Him. Now, it's a corporate prayer. You see the, uh, the, 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 the plural pronouns, us and our and we, are throughout. But I think it, re- it very much speaks to how we're to relate to God uh, individually. Now, one image that Moses gives in this psalm uh, uh, is this image of home, right? In, in, in verse 1, he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. You've been our refuge. You've been our home uh, for all generations. Uh, home is actually a really good lens through which to see our story and to see it in the context of God's larger story, because home is one of those things that everyone can relate to or longs for in some way, right? I have, uh, I've lived in the same house for 10 years now, um, and when you turn onto my street, if you're going to my house, um, when, right when you turn onto my street, you can see my house at the end of the street. You're driving straight towards, like 200 yards that way. And sometimes at the end of a long day when I'm kind of tired and I turn onto my street, not every day, but some days when I see my house for the first time, I just kind of go, just kind of takes my breath away, right? And it's not because my house is particularly breathtaking. It's not. It's just a house, nice house, right? And the yard work is, the yard work is breathtaking. Whoever does the yard is just amazing. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's not the structure of my home that takes the breath away. It's who's there. It's what that house represents in my life. It represents home to me. I think home actually reveals some of our deepest longings that we have in life, like God-given longings, eternal longings. It reveals things like how we long for security. We long to belong, to be known. We long for permanence. We long for love. We long for deep satisfaction of the soul. And all those things are kind of wrapped up in our idea of home. But you read this prayer in Psalm 90, and you realize that Moses and the people of God are not experiencing those sweet, cozy, warm things of home. Uh, His prayer is anything other than God we feel at home. He prays things like this, God, we're brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we're dismayed. We bring our years to an end like a sigh, like, our years are toil and trouble. 
they're soon gone and we fly away. I think Moses is saying, God, our life doesn't feel like home. Uh, It feels fleeting. It feels impermanent. It feels heavy, like we're being punished. There's like a hard edge to it. We're wandering out in the desert. It just doesn't feel like home at all. This is actually a lament psalm. That is the genre of this psalm. It's a lament. It's a community lament. It's not an individual lament, but they are lamenting in this psalm. It doesn't feel like home. And what Moses is going to say to us is that the people of God ought to find their home in God. That's what he wants us to do. But how do you do that? How do you feel it? How do you do that when you feel displaced? When you feel disconnected from God? When you feel distant from God? When you feel disciplined by God? How do you find your home in him? And I think what he's going to do, Moses, is give us sort of three practical tips Uh, Three points of direction for our prayers to find our way back home. Here they are. Remember, confess, trust. Remember, confess, trust. It's a pattern for how we ought to find our way back home. Let's look at remember for a second. Look back at verse 1. Verse 1. Moses is going to say that the people of God have got to call to mind always who God has been to them through the years. Not only who he's been, but what he's done for them. Verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. You've been our refuge. You've been our home. You've been our place of protection and permanence in the midst of just a harsh world, a transient world. Now, it's interesting that Moses is the one praying this. Uh, It's kind of ironic because Moses and his people have been essentially homeless for generations, right? They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, which you could hardly call home. Uh, They've been wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, for uh, a little over 40 years, and you certainly cannot call that a home. And yet, what Moses is saying is, hey, we need to remember that God has been our home. He's been our dwelling place. Uh, God has made every provision to set us apart, to make us his own, to deliver us, and to dwell with us so that we could experience him as home. You remember how God did that in the book of Exodus? He did it in very specific ways. In Exodus, we see God set his people apart from their slaveholders in a very, very particular way, right? Through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And it's by the sacrifice of that lamb that they're set apart from their slaveholders. They are marked with the blood of that lamb, and they are rescued from death on the night that God brings them out of slavery. God brings them out of slavery uh, with great signs and wonders. Uh, God spoke to them. He gave them a law uh, by which to guide them, right? Uh, God provided for them by giving them bread from heaven that they could eat uh, and and be nourished by. He tabernacled with them. He dwelt in their midst by his spirit, and he led them and guided them. God had made every provision for them to to, to be at home. He had met all their longings, all their needs in himself. So they didn't have a home, but God is saying, I'm your home. Uh, I'm the one who meets your home longings, your deepest needs. And Moses is telling the people of God to remember that. The thing is, though, Moses is not just telling his generation to remember that. He's telling every generation of God's people uh, to remember that. He's calling every generation to find their home in God. Now, how is it that the God of Moses can be our God, too? Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From always to always, you're God. How can God be our home just like he was home to Moses? Well, he's eternal, right? 
Uh, He existed before time. He stands outside of time. Uh, The psalm goes on to say that a thousand years are to to God like 24 hours. It's no different uh, to him, right? They They just go by quickly. If you read in Genesis chapter 5, there's a list of a bunch of guys that lived to be really old back then. Uh, and there's this one guy named Methuselah who almost lived to be 1,000. He lived to 969 years old, right? And I, I have no idea what that kind of life would be like. I don't know if he had like a midlife crisis in his 500s, you know, or he's, you know, he gets to the, his mid-800s. He's like, man, I'm starting to feel tired and worn out and old here, right? And God looks at Methuselah and says, man, you had not been around at all. You're just like a young buck. Because God stands outside of time. He is eternal. God created all things, and so God alone knows how to be our eternal home. He knows how to meet our deepest eternal longings. And Moses is saying, remember that. Remember that God in his grace, the eternal one, stepped into time because it was his purpose that people from every generation would find their home in him, and he's made every provision for us to find our home in him, and he's done it in very specific ways. You remember how he's made those provisions? He has stepped into time in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb. And by the sacrifice of that lamb, we are set apart and we are rescued from our slaveholders, sin and death. Uh, God has marked us with that blood. He's put that blood on us and it's the atoning sacrifice for our sin for all time. God has put his law in our hearts. God nourishes us with bread from heaven, and he still nourishes us with that bread. Today we'll take communion together, and the bread of life will nourish his people. He tabernacles with us in our midst by his spirit. He guides us, uh, he leads us uh, as a people of God by his spirit. He's made every provision because he's the only one who can meet our deepest longings, the longings of home. The God of Moses Uh, is our God too. And through Jesus, we can experience him as home and we need to remember that. Now, back to Psalm 90. The the story uh, takes an unthinkable turn. Um, The people of God in Moses' day, they ran away from home. Um, And in fact, every generation of God's people has run away from home. We have too. We go off seeking satisfaction in life and other things and other places and other people. Uh, and that results in pain and heartache in this awareness of how fleeting life is. I mean, we're all aware of the, of the, of the presence of death, and it's nearer to us than sometimes we want to admit. And so uh, this running away from home results in this discipline of God, and this is where Moses and his generation f- find themselves in Psalm 90. So Psalm 90 takes a turn toward confession, right? Instead of now remembering God, they begin to confess to God. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 and 8. Moses prays, For we're brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. You've set our secret sins in the light of your presence. What Moses is praying here is, Lord, it's because of our own sin that we're experiencing wrath and judgment. We're the ones who've sinned. It didn't take long under Moses' leadership for the people of God to run away from home. Remember when Moses was still up on the mountain receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments, old movie, Charlton Heston, getting the Ten Commandments, right? While he's still up there, the people of God run off. They make a golden calf, and they begin to worship this golden calf. They're like, we need a God who's a little more tangible. 
a little more understandable, a little less mysterious, a little less boring. A God who is more quick to meet our desires because we want our desires met right now. And so they make this God an image that they want and they worship him out in the open, brazenly. It says they partied while they worshiped. So it's this big pagan, like frat party worship service and they, they, their perversity, their sin is on display for all to see. And Moses is confessing here that type of sin, but it's not the only kind of sin he's confessing. He's also confessing secret sin. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, God, you have set our secret sins in the light of your presence. Like, our hidden sins are under your spotlight, God. One commentator said that this is a reference to private prayer, to other deities in people's houses. So in other words, they're in their own tents, no one sees, and they are snuggling up with false gods with other versions of a golden calf, and they're saying, I love you. I worship you. I look to you to satisfy me and meet my deepest longings. And we do the same thing, don't we? Like we've run away from home, we've gone off looking for satisfaction outside of God, and we snuggle up with these false gods, sometimes out in the open, but more often than not, in secret and in private. So we might snuggle up with things like materialism and greed and think just the next purchase is going to get me the satisfaction I need. We might snuggle up with promiscuity or pornography, looking for intimacy there, hoping we'll find it there. We might snuggle up with gossip or sins of the tongue. If I just share this story, I will feel a little more on the inside circle. So I'm going to share it. We snuggle up with things like substance abuse. And maybe you're not addicted to that, but maybe you're just looking for a buzz, right? Just something to take the edge off and the stress off of life. And we snuggle up with those things thinking, man, maybe I'll find satisfaction there. It's not just the bad things. It's not just the overtly sinful things that we do this with. We go looking for life and satisfaction and all the good things in life too. Our spouse, our kids, our performance at work, Uh, our success in ministry. We want to make a difference in the world. And we begin to take those good things and make them ultimate things. And when we do, they become God replacements in our life. And we say, I want you to satisfy me instead of God. And what Moses is saying is that's idolatry. And he's saying, confess it. I want you to look where Moses' confession goes. Look at verse 9 and 10. It's interesting where he takes this. He's confessing sin, and then he says, hey, verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're gone, they're soon gone, and we fly away. Uh, Moses, what he's doing here is connecting the brevity of life with our sin. He's saying, God, it's our fault that our life is so short. We've, we've run away from home. We've turned away from you looking for life elsewhere, and so our days have been shortened. And so our declining days, our failing bodies, are evidence of the result of sin, which leads to death. Our mor- mortality points to the result of sin. Did you know that mortality, the fact that you're going to die and I'm going to die, is not integral to being human? It's not necessarily a part of who we are. 
Actually, mortality is a departure from God's design for human beings, right? Sin has brought about death. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. And this is what Moses is saying here. He's saying, it's our own fault, Lord. He's confessing. Um, But I think our declining bodies, I think our fleeting years, don't only point to the result of sin. I think they also point to the folly of sin or the foolishness of sin. Here's what I mean by this. When I was talking to my dad on his birthday, um, we were talking about getting older. And I was like, well, yeah, dad, I'm, you know, I'm 45 now and I'm, I'm starting to have, I was having some Achilles tendonitis and just some regular aches and pains. I was like, I'm starting to, you know, feel older myself. And he's like, hey, listen, son, your body is never going to feel better than it does today, right? <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, dad. Uh, this encouraging conversation. And he said, my, he told me his dad, my grandpa, who died at the age of 94, uh, in, in the later years of his life, told him that he woke up every day with a new pain, right? <laughs> There's some new ache or pain. If our bodies are declining and failing like that, if we are so obviously temporal, why would we go looking to fill the deepest needs of our soul with things like that that are declining, that are failing, that are going away, that are just decaying like we are? It's foolishness, right? And yet we do it. So what I think we see here in this psalm, in this confession, is that our failing bodies don't not only point to the judgment on our sin, they're also God's grace toward us. The reason it's grace that we realize we're, we're weak and declining is because they begin to point us back home. They begin to point us back to the eternal one. Look at verse 12. He says in verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is just knowing that you're not going to live forever. Right? Wisdom is seeking to connect yourself to one who does live forever. And so Moses... Uh, He does not just stop at remembering God. He does not just stop at confessing our sins to God. He turns us to trust in God. He leads us back to him. He leads us back home. And so look at this prayer of trust in verse 13. It's an interesting prayer. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. It's an odd wording, um, I think, for this prayer uh, because actually we're the ones that need to return home, and yet he's praying, Lord, you return. He literally prays, Lord, repent. Like, you've been turned, your face has been turned away from us because of our sin. Would you turn now in, in, in mercy and compassion and look at us again? Repent. Now, let me ask you something. How is it that the people of God could pray such an audacious prayer. Repent, God. How could they do that? I think they're appealing to what we would call the covenant faithfulness of God, that God had bound himself to this people loyally and covenant forever, and they're saying, God, we know that. We know that we belong to you. We're your people, and we're praying on the authority of your promises. God, turn to us. Return to us. Listen to how this prayer of trust continues. Look at verse 14. I love this. I think this is maybe the key moment in the psalm, verse 14. He goes on to pray this prayer of trust. Satisfy us, Lord, in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love. Fill us up to the brim till we're overflowing with your love, with your steadfast love. And this word steadfast love is really important. Uh, It's not like a ooey-gooey, warm, fuzzy kind of love. This love is a covenantal, loyal uh, love. The eternal one, again, had stepped into time and he had loyally bound himself in this covenant relationship with his people forever. And this steadfast love says God loves his people forever. And he says to his people, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Never, 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 never will I leave you or forsake you. That is steadfast love. Some of you have uh, heard me tell this story before. I've mentioned it at church before. Uh, but when my, when my little girls, or my, they're not little anymore, but when my girls were little um, and it was bedtime, I would go in and tuck them in and uh, I used to play this game with them where I would say, I love you as much as, and then I would say some huge example, like I love you as much as the stars are away from the earth. And, and then they would try to like one-up me, you know, and then we would go back and forth until somebody would be like, ah, I can't go any better than that. And uh, uh, Lauren, uh, my oldest, when she was six, she's almost 15 now, but when Lauren was six, she said this to me one night, and I remember it because I wrote it down, right? And there's some things as a parent you write down. And this one I wrote down. She said, Daddy, I love you till the colors disappear. She said, Daddy, I love you till the numbers run out. And I was like, wow, Lauren, that's a lot of love. I don't think I can go higher than that. That's the way that God loves his people. That's what Moses means when he says, satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love. It is a never-ending, never-failing kind of love, and our, lo- our deepest longings can only be met with that kind of love. Like Eternal longings can only be met with eternal love. Now, how do you know God loves you like that? 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God has bound himself to us through Jesus Christ in this forever covenant relationship. And he says, I love you till the colors disappear. I love you till the numbers run out. That's the way God loves his people and the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus ensure us of that. I think many, in many ways the Christian life is just seeking to find our, our home in the eternal one and then continuing to live like he is our home. And, 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 and how do you do that? Well, Psalm 90 gives us a pattern for prayer, right? We remember who God is, we confess our sin to him, and we turn in him to trust. Remember, confess, trust. In short, you, you just keep believing the gospel. You keep turning to him. This is the normal pattern of the Christian life. It's the normal pattern of our prayer life. Remember, confess, trust. Now, if you're here today and you're thinking, I'm not sure you're talking to me. I'm not sure Moses is talking to me here. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I know God, uh, but I would like to, I think. I'm not sure I'm a Christian, but I think I would like to be. Let me just say to you, I'm glad you're here, and the pattern for you would be exactly the same. Remember what you've learned about God to this point. 
maybe not much, maybe just some stuff you heard today. Remember that. Turn to him and confess your sin, and then turn to him and trust, meaning believe in and rest in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection for you. That's the way you, you find your home in God, and that's the way as Christians we continue finding our home in God. Here's how Psalm 90 ends. Moses prays, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There's this permanence to this word establish. It's like Moses is praying, God, would you include us who are temporal in your eternal plans? Would you include us? And God's answer is yes. Because of the redemption that we have in Jesus, we will one day live on a new earth in resurrected bodies and the work of our hands will be established forever, right? And then we'll be home, and it's going to be awesome. Let's pray and thank him for that. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.